You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Louis Swan, who's the um, founder and um, uh, leader of uh, Site.org, is going to uh, Togo on uh, Tuesday. He was going to share a little bit about his trip this morning and just get us to pray for him. And he's been fighting this bug that some of you guys have already been through. And it's just like it's a long lingering thing. And then it's a really difficult few days. And then you get over it. And uh, he really wants to be well before he goes uh, leaves on Tuesday, so he wasn't able to be here this morning. Um, they're, um, they're expecting to do uh, 200 surgeries um, this time, and uh, we had expected to do that before, but the way that things have gone this time, there's a very good chance uh, that they will do 200 surgeries. So surgery starts, I think, on the 25th. Is that right, Steve? On the 25th, and it'll go for like five days, and uh, it's a marathon effort, um, and so I just want to just pause this morning and pray for him, number one, that um, God would heal him and that he could go to Africa well and healthy and strong. Uh, number two, that everything would go well with the surgeries. But, and this is probably the most important thing. It's a spiritual battle, and there's a lot of spiritual resistance. And we really want to pray for them to be strengthened in the inner man for that team, which is uh, just an incredible group of, of people um, that every single one of them would be used mightily of God in these days. And uh, I haven't talked to him about whether they're going to do the prayer tent, but I know the prayer tent was so successful before uh, when we did it. Um, and uh, I told you many stories that we had, and I didn't even begin to scratch the surface. And we really want to see that um, flourish. Um, so we're going to pause for just a second and pray for Site.org and for Lewis. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, that we get to be a part of this, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that um, one of us um, is being sent uh, forth, and um, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for Lewis. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for the vision, Lord, that you put in his heart, and thank you for how he follows you with absolute abandon, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would touch him and heal him this morning, Lord, that you would restore um, his strength, his health, um, that when he gets on that plane on uh, Tuesday, um, that he will be strong and healthy and focused and not distracted in any way by any kind of physical um, illness or limitations. I pray, Lord, that these surgeries um, would be successful, Lord. And I pray that many, many lives would be touched. It's not just the 200 who are being operated on, but it's their friends, their families, the people that come with them, the people that witness um, uh, the kindness of God uh, through the hands of these doctors and nurses um, that experience, Lord, the miracle of restored sight, um, even if it's by medical means, Lord Jesus. And, uh, and I just pray that there would be nothing that would hinder that. And I pray against every, everything that the enemy would throw at this team, Lord, to uh, hinder them. I pray that everything that the enemy is trying to use against them, Lord, would turn out to be to, to great success and great uh, victory. Uh, Lord, spiritually, physically, medically, in every way, Lord. Um, and I pray that Lewis uh, would come home um, just filled with testimonies and glorifying God for all that you've done there. And uh, we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, so the kids can go to children's ministry.
And I've asked uh, Jay to uh, come and share the word this morning. We're continuing our series uh, on the new covenant. And uh, what we saw in baptism this morning is a really unique uh, expression of the, of the new covenant. Um, John the Baptist was baptizing, but we don't really have any indication that that was widespread before that. And his baptism was a baptism unto repentance, and that's part of it, but also a baptism unto life. This is death and burial and life. Um, Jesus told Martha um, that if anybody believes in me, even if he dies, he's going to live. And that's what we we're celebrating um, this morning. So uh, we're just continuing that series. So give Jay a good welcome as he comes to share the word this morning. I'm not making any promises this morning. We may get out of here on time today. What a great morning, man. I just love, I, there's something about baptism that is just, like, there, you know, there's no, like, it's, there's no magic to it. There's no, you know, it doesn't, doesn't save you. There's nothing, you know, I guess magic is the best word, but just the, the expression, what it expresses and, and what it means, you know, when someone was dead, right? We're dead, man. We're dead in our sins. And it just, it's just a great picture of what Jesus does in our hearts, that we're dead, and he comes in, and he lifts us up, man. He raises us, and he gives us a brand new life. Man, it's so, I just, man, I just appreciate it, Brother Randy. I appreciate you just going through, following through with that, because it's just so pretty, man. It's just a beautiful picture of what the new covenant is about, of what Jesus came for, right? I mean, aren't you glad Jesus chose you? Right? He chose us. Man, I'm sitting back here this morning, I'm like, man, this is crazy of who I was, the road that I was on, and that Jesus chose me, right? And I know, I know me, you know you, right? We're like, we don't have anything really to offer, but he says, I want you. Man, it's just such a beautiful thing. He's, he's good, man, he's good. And that's, what, that's really what this series, to me, is about, is that we have a God who loved us so much that he said, the system I've got in place isn't, isn't good enough. I'm going to make it even better, man. I'm going to make a way where they can have a relationship with me, where I can know them, where I can love them, where they can love me, where we can talk, where we can hang out, we can spend time together. He wants a relationship, and that's what the whole new covenant is about. All the things that we've been talking about, and they're all great, and they all need to be applied to our lives, but it really came down to this one simple thing, that God loved us so much, and he said, I want to know them, and I want them to know me. I want to have a relationship with them. And that's what baptism really represents, is someone that says, you know what, God? I'm going to choose you because you chose me, and I want to have a relationship with you, man. And so this, this, this whole thing is about one thing, and it's Jesus Christ said, I love you enough that I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life so that we can live together forever, man. And it's just a cool, cool thing. So, so we're going to look this week in Matthew. Oh, I didn't get my clicker. Um, can somebody bring that to me real quick? Or I can meet you halfway. I don't mind. I bet this thing will go all the way back. I can be like one of the, the Pentecostals. I can be walking the aisles if y'all would like, <laughs> jumping chairs. That's how I grew up, man. I, I got saved when I was 13 in, in, a, in an Assembly of God church, and it wasn't nothing. What, what, uh, what we experienced last week with Susanna, that was an every week thing, man. We, and, and I learned so much about God in those times. Like, I really experienced the presence of God, and, and I had, you know, I, I don't know that I would 
I don't know how I would deal with it now necessarily if it's, you know, because it was a lot of, it was something, you know. But, uh, but I know that God changed my life because of that environment. And, and so, um, so it was cool. But we're going to look this week at, um, the, I called it, you have heard it said, um, mainly because I didn't have any other title in my head. So I'm like, well, this is what we're talking, these verses, so we'll just call it that. But really, I want to talk about some qualities of a new covenant believer and qualities that Jesus kind of lays out in Matthew 5. Caleb talked a couple of weeks ago about um, when Jesus, in, in, at, right after the, you know, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and then right after the Beatitudes, um, Jesus said, makes three statements about us. He says, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and you are a city set on a hill. And what I love about those is that Jesus didn't say that, I, one day you will be, right? Or um, one day I will make you these things. He says, this is who you are. You are the light of the world. In me and him in you makes us the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And so then he goes on through, and what I think he's doing through, through the, the rest of this, through at least what we're going to talk about today, and really I think through the rest of his sermon, um, is kind of explaining what that looks like fleshed out. What does it look like to be the light of the world? What does it look like to be the salt of the earth? How do you add flavor to the earth? How do you show the light of God to the people around you? And I think that's kind of what he's getting at and what he wants to talk about over the next little bit. And so we're going to look um, at, at a few verses this morning. And he has um, six different times over in the next few, uh, through the end of chapter 5, where he talks about, he says the statement, you have heard it said. Um, and so he, there we go right there. Um, so I want to kind of set the, the, the stage before we get into that. And I want to show you what he's trying to get at here. He says, so in, in verse 17, he says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless, the righteousness, unless your righteousness is better than that of the, the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is doing two things here, and he's, he's, he's setting them up because he wants them to understand what he's about to say. First thing is he, he's doing is he is establishing self, himself now as the authority on Scripture. He is, he is uh, the authority. So, you know, when you go into a courtroom, there's really two people, two sets of people that kind of have what you would think would be some sort of authority. You've got lawyers and you've got the judge, right? The lawyers are supposed to be experts on the law, but there's only one person who has authority in the room, right? And that's Jesus. And so he's, we've got two sets of people. We've got some scribes or lawyers that are in the crowd, and then we've got Jesus. And if you look uh, at what it says in, 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 at the end of his sermon in chapter 7, he says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So they, the, the people that were in the crowd could see that this guy is not like the lawyers that have been teaching us. This guy is not like the scribes that have been teaching us, who have, who have used the law to their advantage. Um, and that's one of the things that lawyers do, isn't it? I mean, they, they, if they're defending someone, they use the law, they try and find ways to use the law to their advantage to help this person get off. If they're prosecuting someone, they try and use the law to their advantage to win the case. And so that's what a lawyer's job is, is to find ways to use the law to benefit them. 
That's what's happening here. That's what has been happening. Is instead of the law being something that would, A, reveal their sinfulness and, and maybe call them to a, a greater level of commitment, they're using it to uh, create um, uh, excuses for their behavior. And so they would look at it and say, well, he said don't murder, but he didn't say I couldn't wish somebody was dead, right? And so have you ever been, I'll, I'll say it like this, have you ever, anybody ever got on the, on the freeway? And I can't be the only one that does this. So I get on the freeway heading to Dallas, and I see the speed limit sign that says 75. What does that mean? That I can go 80, right? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't mean i got to stop at 75. It gives me a license to go a little faster because I know they're not going to pull me over at, at 80, right? Or maybe even 85. There's people still flying by me at that, right? And that's what these guys are doing. It's like they're taking the law, and instead of looking at it and, and, and applying it, not only for the letter of it, but to the spirit of it, and saying this is really what he's saying, they're using it to, create, to, to, to get away with things. They're using it to, to justify what they're doing, justify their actions. And so Jesus says, listen, he comes in, he says, I am the authority on the Scripture. And the second thing that he's going to do, well, well, we'll just skip those. Okay. Um, yeah, we could come back. How about that? Let's do that. This is what he says about, um, about them later on. He says, for, this is about the Pharisees and, and the, the religious leaders. He said, for they don't practice what they teach. And then later on he says, everything they do is for show. Now, if Jesus is saying this, don't you think other people could, say, could see it too? Like all the, all the people could see that this is what's going on. They all knew, but they're too scared to say anything. But they could all see that these guys were phonies. Right? Jesus, they could all see through their phonies. They could see that they're, they're telling us to do all this stuff, but they're not doing it. Their, 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 their desire was not ever to please God. Their desire was just to look holy. That's all they wanted, is to look righteous. Right? That was the only thing they were after, and people could see that. So when Jesus comes in and he starts talking, there was something genuine about what he's saying, and they could tell this guy is not just talking it. He wants to please God. He loves the Father. And there's something that resonated with the people. That's, when, that's why at the end when, they, when, when he gets done preaching, they're, they're like, man, this guy's talking with real authority. Because he actually cared about God. He actually cared about them. They, and they could sense that. They could tell that. It wasn't just for show. It wasn't just, it wasn't just look at me and see what I'm doing and see that I'm righteous. It was, look, let's be righteous together. Let's please God. Let's love God. And this is what it really looks like to love God. And so he was really is kind of really coming down on these. And this is why I think part of the reason, the big reason why he became so popular among the people is because they were tired of this mess. They were tired of people saying one thing and requiring one thing of them, but not requiring it of themselves. And then Jesus comes in and says, look, it's the same for all of us, man. And then he not only did he do that, but then he would demonstrate it, right? He would lay his life down over and over and over again. And they're like, this guy's the real deal. He's not just asking us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. Everything that he's telling us to do, he's doing it. And it just meant something to him. That's what gave him authority. The second thing that he's going to do, he's establishing himself as the authority in Scripture. And the second thing is he's going to deal with some, some uh, perverted ways and perverted teachings that these guys have, have, have come up with. Um, here he says in, in chapter 15, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And you notice he says they teach man-made ideas. What had happened is they had come in and they had decided to take what the law had said and form their own uh, kind of do's and don'ts around that that benefited them. 
right? And so they come up, instead of, instead of looking at the law and saying, this is how we do it, and we talked about this a second ago, they said, they, they said this, is, this is what we think he means. And so they would kind of, they would justify, trying to justify their actions is really what they were doing. And so Jesus is coming in and he's saying, look, son, we're going to deal with the way they are teaching and the way they are applying the law, the, how they're teaching the scriptures and how they're applying the scriptures. Now, if you look, most every other time when Jesus refers to the scriptures, what does he say? When he's in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil, right? What does he say? The first thing he says when he quotes the scripture is what? It is written. And he does that over and over when he quotes scripture through the, through the gospels. It is written. It is written. But here, and there's, in, in all six of these, he is quoting the law of Moses. He is quoting different things that are in the law of Moses. But he doesn't say it is written. He says you have heard it said. And the reason why is because he's wanting to make sure that they understand there's a distinction between what the law actually says and what these people have been teaching them that it says. See? And so he's wanting to make sure they understand that, listen, I know they've been saying this, but how they've been saying it is not right at all. They may be saying, you shall not murder, but they're not carrying it out the way that the Father has intended for it to be carried out. So he's really about to address what I think are some qualities, and we're not going to be able to get, go through all these. You could break these down, and I, we're not going to try and do all of that. But what I, what I want to do is look at four qualities that I think Jesus is really trying to um, highlight that he expects New Covenant believers to live out and be exhibited in their lives on a regular basis. The first one is um, authenticity or integrity. Look in verse, uh, so in verse 21 and 22, he says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are angry with someone, if you, I'm sorry, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And then later he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery. Where? In his heart. So Jesus gets right to the point. His first thing that he's coming at is that your heart is the problem. What's going on on the inside is the real issue. This is what's happening right here. And you can deal with all the other stuff on the outside, right? And you can get all this stuff looking good. This is why he says, if we look back in verse 20 of, if I can find it here, you see at the end he says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than that righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's talking about right here. He's talking about the fact that what they were doing was they would get all the stuff on the outside looking good. And they thought in their minds that as long as I look righteous, it makes me righteous. And so they would, they would get, they, if, I'm, if I don't murder somebody, right? How crazy is that? Hey, I haven't killed anybody today, so I'm good with God, folks, right? right? Or I haven't slept with another woman, so I'm okay. Everything's good, right? And this is the way they're thinking. This, and this is what they're teaching people. Is just don't kill anybody and you're okay. But Jesus comes along and says, listen, it's not about the killing of people. It's what's happening in your heart. I didn't, in other words, they're, they're going around saying, I didn't kill anybody, but he didn't say, I can't wish they're dead, right? Or I couldn't think of another woman. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, your righteousness, your external righteousness needs to be um, uh, uh, an expression of what's happening on the inside. It needs to be an expression of a reality that you already have inside your heart. And if it's not, that doesn't mean anything. See? This is what Paul was talking about when he says, if I, uh, if I talk with the tongues of men and of angels, and I don't have love, right? I'm a clanging symbol. If I give everything I've got to the poor, but I don't have love, it means nothing. 
right? And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's like, look, all this stuff that you guys are getting right on the outside, if it's not an overflow of what's already happening on the inside, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So Jesus, the first thing he gets at is he says, listen, my people are going to be authentic. They're going to be, they're going to be people of integrity. They're going to be real. They're going, to, if, they're going to be people that what is happening on the outside is going to be a reflection of their heart. It's not just going to be some external thing where they're on, they're on stage all the time or they're in the spotlight or they're trying to impress people. Quit trying to impress everybody. Nobody's impressed anyways, right? They're not. I get this, you know, I think about this all the time. I'm always, it's so stupid. I have, I've had this conversation with my wife and other people too that, um, that I always have this issue of like um, putting expectations on myself that I think other people have for me. How messed up is that, right? So I'm always trying to live up to these expectations that I think that Wayne has for me. And Wayne ain't even thinking about me, right? He don't even, he don't care. Wayne's got his own expectations of himself that he's trying to live up to, right? He's not worried about Jay's expectations. But we, we have these, this, or I do anyways, where I'm always trying to project what I think other people expect out of me and trying to live up to these things. Man, forget, quit trying to impress people, right? Just get to know Jesus. And out of that, man, the, the, you, people will see that you love God. Out of that, people will see that you spend time with God. Out of that, people will know that you're a good person. I mean, all those, see, all those things take care of themselves, but if you're always trying to live up to other people's, then what happens is you get to put on a show. You get to trying to be something that you're not. You get to, to trying to, to be better than you are, so to speak. You see what I'm saying? Because you want people to think that you're somebody that you're not. Jesus is like, man, forget all of that, man. Forget all of that. Just get to know me. Just get to quit trying to look like you're somebody that you're not. Get this right. And all that stuff will take care of itself, see? The second thing he says kind of along these lines, he says, you've also heard that your ancestors were told, you must not break your vows, but you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. And really what he's talking about here is he's telling us not to make vows or not to make commitments or not to make promises. No. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, if your character is so weak that the only way you can get somebody to believe you is by making a vow or making a promise, then you've got issues. Your word should be enough. That's what he's saying, right? If you say something, people should be able to believe that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. When you commit to something, you're going to do it. So if you're not going to do it, don't say you're going to do it. It's real simple, right? If you're not going to pray for someone, don't put on Facebook, I'll pray for you. I mean, it's, real, it's really easy. But now we can do it, we can look at it that way, or we can look at it this way and say, if I put on Facebook, I'm going to pray for you, pray for them, see? We can use the law one of two ways. We can either use it to our detriment, or we can use it to call us to a higher place. And it's something that, I mean, and I'm not the only one. We get into the Word, right? And we read something that's hard. Man, we're like, oh, man, that hurts. But there's also something inside of us that's calling us higher, right? And it's like, man, but I want to be that, right? I want to love like that. And that's what the Word is designed to do. When we get into it, it's designed to call us to a higher place of commitment. Not to get, not to get us to where we're like, oh, I can't do that, so I'm going to stay away from it, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're, if you're going to do something, if you say you're going to do something, do it, right? If you commit to something, follow through with the commitment. And if you can't do that, then just don't say you're going to do it. It's really simple, right? Let your word be enough is really what, he's coming down, what it comes down to. The second one is humility. So Romans chapter 12, there's two, two humility really has, has two sides to it. 
Romans 12 says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Now, the first side to humility is to bring myself down, to have a good picture, a good view of who I am, right? Of, of how other people, uh, who I, my importance, um, uh, my value. And listen, I'm not saying that we're not important and we're not valuable, okay? That's not my point. But my point is sometimes we elevate ourselves to a place of importance that we don't need to be elevating ourselves to, okay? That I have to be right all the time. That, that when I say something, I know that I'm right. Anybody here like that? Yeah? Don't argue with me because I'm right. What's the point? Why are we arguing? What are we talking about this for? I'm right. See, my wife hears that all the time. She does. And then I have to come back and say, I'm sorry, babe. I was wrong. But the one side of humility is that, that I admit when I'm wrong about things. Look what he says here. He says, when you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Now, what is the implication here? If you're getting handed over to a judge and you're going to prison, what's the implication? You're guilty, right? <laughs> so when you're on your way to the court with the adversary, when it says settle your differences quickly, what is he saying? Admit you're guilty. Go to your adversary and try to make things right. Go to him and say, listen, I was wrong. Why is it so hard for us to say when we're wrong? To say that I'm sorry. To say that I missed it. Man, it is so, for me, it is hard. Because I like to be right. <laughs> I like it, man. There's something that's empowering about knowing that when I say something, it's true. Or knowing when I say something, it's right. Or knowing when I, when I make a decision and people, people go along with it and it turns out great. Oh, man, there's something about that in, in, in us that's just like, yeah, man, yeah, I did it, you know? There's something about us that wants to be right all the time. And we hate saying that we're wrong. And Jesus says part, one of the qualities of my people are people that they're able to admit their mistakes. They're able to admit that they're wrong. They're able to say, I'm sorry. And that's okay. Right? Uh-oh. There we go. The second side, the second part of of uh, humility. One is to have a proper view of myself. The other, the other side of it is to put people in their proper place. So it's not only to put myself in this proper place, but to put others in their place. And I mean that in a positive way, not putting people in their place, okay? Philippians 2.3 says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. So it works like this. So humility works like this. It's, humility says, I'm going to bring myself down and I'm going to lift you up, right? I'm going to, and, and listen, if everybody did that, we'd all be right here together, right? Because you're, you're bringing me up and, and bringing yourself down, but I'm bringing you up and bringing myself down. See, see how that balances out? And so what Jesus is saying is, is look, not only do you need to admit your mistakes, but, I want, but look at what he says here. I've never noticed this, these next two. He says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Now, there's no indication that I've done anything wrong here. Okay? There's no, there's no, now the next verse, he talks about how if you've done something wrong and you're going to court, you need to make sure you're right. But here, there's no indication that I've done anything wrong. But he says, if you know that somebody has something against you. Now, how many times have people had something, you don't really feel like you did anything wrong, right? But there's somebody that's mad at you for some reason or upset with you for some reason. And what do we say? That's their problem, Right? They need to get over it. But what does Jesus say here? It's your problem. 
I should be concerned if someone else has an issue with me. Look what he says here in verse 32. He says, and this is talking about, he, he, said, um, he said, you've heard it said, you know, if you want to get divorced, you must give your wife a written letter, you know, basically a certificate saying, saying it's your divorce. And look what he says, though. He says, but I say that if a man divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, he causes her to commit adultery. Now, there is nothing that affected the man here. You see this? The guy is off the hook. The, the, the guy is off the hook. He, 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 can, he can go get a divorce, and one of the reasons why it caused her to commit adultery is because they, the women didn't, couldn't provide for themselves then. And so they, if, if he's not taking care of them, she had to go find somebody that could take care of her. And so he's putting her in a terrible position. And so Jesus says, listen, quit just thinking about yourself. And so these guys were like, look, if you get tired of, of my wife, I'll just go find me another one. I'll divorce her, and I'll go find me another one. He said, if I want to get divorced, I just go... Go uh, give her a written letter, and I can move on to the next one. But Jesus says, what about what it does to her? What about, your, what about the fact that your decision to divorce her causes her to become an adulteress? You see what I'm saying? Like he's, what, he's, what he's saying is that sometimes our decisions, a lot of times our decisions affect more than just us. And sometimes we can't, we can't just go through our life just doing whatever we want to do, not worrying about how what I'm doing affects those around me. That's part of humility. It's saying I'm going to make decisions that don't just benefit me, and sometimes it's going to be things that I don't want to do because it benefits other people. That's what he's getting at here. Is don't, guys, don't just go out and get a divorce because you're, you're putting her in a bad place. We, and listen, we've got a great, great opportunity in front of us here at this church to put this into practice we got an email a few weeks ago and i, I didn't ask i hope this is okay so i'm not going to try and make you feel bad i promise i'm not trying to guilt anybody in anything so don't think that's what i'm doing but we got an email a few weeks ago that said that that um uh our, in regards to our children's ministry and it said if we we need more volunteers and if we can't get more volunteers we may not be able to continue to offer children's ministry to all the age groups i'm like what Man, that's crazy. I can't imagine not having children's ministry for all of our kids, right? doesn't make sense, man. To me, they, that, that is the future of a healthy TCF in that building. They are our future. And listen, I'm, t I'm telling you this, I'm saying all this, fully understanding and fully being dealt with by the Lord this week on this particular subject, because one of the things I've done is my wife and my kids, they serve in children's ministry once a month. And so you know what I do? We serve in children's ministry already, right? Because my wife and kids do. So I can use that as an excuse. And she tells me, she tells me all the time, we've got it, we've got it. But I know it's her way of saying, I know you don't want to be in here, so, so go ahead and you know, go back over there to the other building, right? But what, my point is that sometimes we make decisions that we don't want to do. We do things that we don't want to because it benefits other people. We have people that are in our children's ministry that are working or serving over there, and they're there every week. They never even get to come in here and experience what we're experiencing right now, the worship that we got to experience, seeing a baptism take place, hearing the word. They're there every week working, serving our kids so that we can enjoy this and so that our kids can learn and grow and building a future for this body. And I would just encourage you guys. I know that you may not feel called to children's ministry. You might not even like kids, okay? I get it. I get it, man. But I would encourage you to think about maybe doing it for somebody else. Saying, you know what, I don't really want to do it, but Becky needs me. Our kids need me. 
I mean, it's a great opportunity that we got to put this into practice, man, to say I'm going to do something that I don't want to do necessarily because I love this body, I love these kids, and I love our workers, man, and I want to do it for them, all right? So that's the end of my rant on that right there, and if you don't, if you're mad, then talk to Joe. <laughs> maybe he won't let me preach again, so see. Maybe he'll vet my maybe he'll vet my vet my sermons a little better next time. <laughs> so the question is, am I willing to do things that I don't want to do to benefit other people? And that is really the life of a believer, man. That's really the life of a Christian. We make decisions all the time, do things that we don't necessarily want to do because we love people around us, right? And we want them to be benefited. We want to we want to make sure people know that Jesus loves them, man. We want people to know that God loves them. So We'll move on. The third one, third quality of a new covenant person is that they are merciful. Verse uh, 38 through 42, Jesus says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many have ever heard that? Man, we hear it all the time, right? But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear uh, for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Merciful. Now, there's two things I want you to see, but first of all, with the, with the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was this part of the law? Was this part of the Jewish law? Was this something that God had ordained and said? You can shake your head, yes, it, it was. Okay? This is something that God put in place. And so we know if God put it in place, it is a good thing, right? It's a good law, okay? But what happened is they had taken this law and began to use it for their own purposes. Just like every one of these things that, that Jesus is talking about, they had turned it around, and instead of using it the way it was meant to be, and first, the first thing that it was meant, it was meant to be used in a courtroom, okay? That judges would, 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 would be the ones that would, would um, dish out the punishment. It was never meant to be for us to take the law into our own hands and say, well, you did it to me, I'm going to do it to you, right? Because what happens every time, you know, we were talking about this the other day at home. Um, one of the, it's going to sound crazy, but we, we like to punch each other in my house. I don't know why. Um, we do. I, don't, I would say that's what boys do, but we got girls too, and we still punch each other. Man, my, my daughter is always punching me, and I can't say that I don't ever punch her back. We just what we do, right? We have fun. We enjoy each other and leave bruises and stuff. So, um, so I don't remember. I think, Tasha, did you punch Jacob, I think, or something like that on the arm? And so he's like, my turn. So he punches her back, right? And he punches her a lot harder than what she punched him, right? And I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, isn't that our nature, Right? Like, one of the reasons why he put this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth as a law is because it, it is something in us that when we, this vengeful, this retaliatory uh, spirit and attitude that people have, that they, they want to make sure that you pay for what they did, but they're not just going to stop at punching you just to the degree that you punch them, right? Like, somebody that gets killed was never killed because they killed somebody. Well, let me rephrase that. How, 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 I said this earlier, and I'm like, man, it sounds really good. But I don't know if it, that didn't come out at all, like I thought. Oh, man, you don't kill. That's so confusing. A, a, a dead person never murdered somebody. Never mind. Forget it. Forget it. I'm not even going to attempt to try it. It sounded so good when I said it back there. I'm like, oh, that's a good point. The point is that, the point is that murder generally happens 
because someone got mad about something. They got offended over something because somebody looked at them wrong or said something to them wrong. Or, or it's, it's very rarely does murder happen because they got, somebody got murdered. So I, don't, I, I got murdered, so I'm going to murder you. And that's, that's, that's kind of, there we go, right? Nobody murders because they got murdered, right? Murder is, it's, what happens is it, it's, it's, it's so far beyond the offense that was taken that it's crazy, and so when, when God comes in and says, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, what he's trying to do is limit, the, fact, limit the, 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 the retribution, the punishment, whatever, to make sure that it actually fits the crime, that it doesn't go beyond the limits of the offense. What these guys were doing is they were taking it and saying, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. This is an excuse for me to take it into my own hands and to, and to really give it back to somebody that's done something to me, Right? And so Jesus comes in, and he goes completely just the other way to that. And he says, listen, listen, not only, I know it says an eye for an eye for, and a tooth for a tooth, but I'm telling you, love everybody, man. Just extend mercy. How about doing it this way? Somebody slaps you on the cheek, just let them slap you on the other one. Listen, and I know this sounds crazy. I, I, watched, I watched this happen with my own eyes one time. When I was probably 16, 17 years old, me, me and a buddy, my two or three buddies, we were playing football in a parking lot, and we left the parking lot. We were walking back to his apartment, and some guys, it was in the evening, and some guys drove by in a truck and yelled something out at us, and one of my buddies just waved at them and I, I don't know, said thank you or whatever. I mean, it was nothing derogatory at all. Man, they slammed on their brakes. They jump out of their truck, and they come, like, running at us. I'm like, what in the world is happening here, man? This is crazy. And this buddy of mine that did it, is, he's a big guy. I wouldn't want to get hit by him. And uh, he's standing there, and the guy gets right into his face. And like, what did you say, you know? And my buddy's like, whoa, man, I just said thank you. Just waved and said thank you. And the guy hauls back and punches him as hard as he can in his face. I'm like, oh, this ain't good, man. Um, one, I've never been in a fight in my life. I don't, I don't know what I'd do if they start swinging at me. I'd probably run and scream. Um, but uh, my buddy looks at him, and he says, Jesus loves you, man. I'm like, what? I can't even believe he said it, right? And the guy looked, and the guy, so that was the guy's reaction. He's like, do what? And he said, Jesus loves you, man. And the guy hauls back and punches him again as hard as he can. And he's like, he still loves you. And the guy's looking at him like, are you kidding me right now? And he hauls back and punches him a third time. And my buddy's like, he still loves you, man. And the guy's like, whatever, man. Just goes, and they all just get in their truck and take off, you know. And my, that's 25 years ago, man. I've never, ever forgotten that. Never forgot it. And I, listen, I'm not telling you that's what Jesus is saying, okay? I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, well, I guess I can tell you that's what, I mean, that's what it says. He's pretty obvious what he's saying here. It's, it, but when I think about it, in my, and isn't that the way that, that it is with Scripture sometimes, especially these commands that Jesus says, it just goes so counter to our nature. It doesn't make sense. You've got to defend yourself, right? You've got to defend your. You, you can't just let somebody slap you in the face. And Jesus is like, well, I'm going to. I'm going, I'm going to let him do it to me. Again, everything he asks us to do, he did it himself. It's crazy to me, man. But I, and I don't know what kind of impact that situation had on the guy that was doing the punching, but I can almost guarantee you he's never forgotten that moment when he wanted a fight. He wanted to really get into it with somebody, and all the guy would say to him is, Jesus loves you. Never retaliated, never, never fought for his rights. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? Don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us uh, as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do and as Peter does? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves since 
We have planted spiritual seed among you. Aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that the life of following Jesus is all about laying down our rights. That's what Jesus was getting at there. He wasn't saying just go around and let people take advantage of you and beat up on you, okay? What he's saying is that the life of following him is a life of laying down my rights. It's not always be having, to, having to, to take a stand and always, always you know, d- defending my, my turf and defending my rights, but it's sometimes it's just saying, you know what? I love you, and Jesus loves you. And it's not just that, but it's going the extra mile. It's going, he said, look, don't just, don't just forgive people. Don't just extend mercy, but show them mercy. If they tell you to go one mile, go two with them, right? Give, give extra. Somebody ask, ask something of you, give it to them, right? Go, go even further than what they're expecting. That's what he's saying. Go further, man. Be more. Be more than what anybody expects. The last thing he says is that we need to be full of love. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the the Good Samaritan a little bit. And one of the things that Jesus does in that story um, that... A lot I, I hadn't caught really until I was thinking about it today or this week, this weekend, was, you know, remember when the guy, the, kind of the, the, the part of that story that how it starts is the man comes to Jesus and he says, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And he says, it says, love the, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy looks at Jesus and it says, seeking to justify himself, which is what they were always trying to do, justify themselves, he says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, he starts telling the story about the Jewish man walking along the road and the priest and the Levite move to the other side and don't help him. And who was the guy that helped him? But a despised, the scripture says, a despised Samaritan came and helped the guy. And what Jesus was doing there is the same thing he's trying to do here is he was turning your enemy into your neighbor is what he's doing, see? See? He's saying, that when I say love your neighbor as yourself, I'm not just saying love your neighbor as yourself. I'm saying love your enemy as yourself. Like everybody deserves it. Everybody deserves this love. That's what he's saying. And so he's saying, listen, I don't care if they've wronged you. I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. They could be your despised enemy. But I want you to love them. I want you to be full of love for them. I want you to be, be like, like crazy love. Like don't make any sense kind of love for them. And then he says this. And this kind of brings it all home. This is what he's after in the whole thing here. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. What is he saying? My followers are going to look different. That's what he's saying. You can't look like everybody else. What's the point of that? Every, when he's saying, I need you to be authentic, when he's saying, I need you to be full of integrity, when, I'm, when he's saying, I want you to be merciful, right? When he's saying, I want you to be full of love, when he's saying that I want you to be humble, what he's saying is, is I don't want you to be like the world. <laughs> I don't want you to look like everybody else. You are a light. You are the city set on a hill, and the only way people can see that is if you stand out. That's what makes us a peculiar people, is that we're different from everyone else. We don't need to blend in. We need to look different. There's too much of us trying to blend in with everybody else. They don't see anything different. 
They don't like themselves already. They don't want a, another one, right? I know I didn't like myself. They want people that are different. They want people that are genuine, that really love them. That's what they're after. And that's what Jesus is after. That's what he's asking us to do is be different. Look different. All right? That's all I got. All right, we're almost stop there. All right. I love you guys. Did we get out on time? We're done? Yeah. yeah. pray for us and uh, if you need prayer this morning if there's anything that maybe that the Lord is prompting you as uh, Jay is speaking um, and you you want prayer uh, you come let's stand together and we're gonna pray thank you Jesus Lord we love you so much Lord and we're so grateful God that you chose to live among us that you chose to come and uh, call us your people. Just a crazy thought that, that um, how holy you are, how um, perfect you are, how awesome you are, and yet you say, I want to be among you. I want to be among, among people. I want to be among the heathen and the, 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 the wild and the crazy and the sinner. I want to be among those people. I want those to be mine. And we're so grateful, Lord, that, that you chose to be with us that you chose to live in us, and that you choose to use us, God. And God, I just pray for, for us as a body, for TCF, God, that um, as we go throughout our days and, and our weeks, that, God, you would open up our eyes to opportunities to love like crazy those that are around us, God. That, God, those, those and I know, Lord, it's hard. It's hard for us sometimes, but, God, that you would just nudge us, God, on those times when when we're frustrated and those times when people bother us and we feel like we're being taken advantage of, Lord, that you would just remind us, God, that our heart and your heart is that we love, love, love. That we just love people. That we wrap our arms around them. God, you would give us a special grace, God, as we go out to see people the way that you see them, God. Hurting and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And you would move on our hearts the way you were moved, God, with compassion to reveal the Savior to them. God, I just thank you this morning, God. I thank you for your word that challenges us. I thank you for your word that, God, when, you, when we read it and we, we see these things in it, it just goes contrary to everything that we think in our minds and, and that, that makes common sense to us. Lord. But we know that that's why you came, is to go counter to our nature, to change yes. us and to make yes. us more like you, to make us yes. more like the Father. And God, that's what we want. We want to be more like you, Lord. We want to look more like you. We want to be different from everybody else, God. We want to be that peculiar people that you've called us to be. We want to be the light. We want to be the city. We want to be salt, God. And send us out from this place and make us that, God. Do that work in our hearts that only you can do, Lord. So that when we see people and we interact with people, that we are those things that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus. Thanks, Jay. Let's sing this together this morning. Let's make it our prayer. Jesus, anywhere you go, we'll go, Lord. Anywhere you go, we'll go. And anywhere you go, we'll go. Wherever you lead, we will follow. Sing it again. Oh, 
anywhere you go, we'll go. And anywhere you go, we'll go. Wherever you lead, we will follow. And anywhere you Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades, never ending, and your glory goes beyond all fame, and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out, Lord, my soul. said uh, really struck me today it's that uh, this is like a fresh start this is a new beginning and uh, before before church we were talking he was talking describing a time in his life when he was having something like a uh, maybe a generational crisis or something like that it's one of those zero birthdays you know 30s 40s 50s and uh, and just how somebody spoke into his life and just put it all in perspective and just sort of woke him up and uh, we're, every one of us, this is a brand new day. Just, just like what Randy's experienced, it's a brand new day. And if you look at your life and you're saying, you know, I want more, it's there for you, man. It is. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word to us today, Lord. Thank you for Jay. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you, um, you speak to us so simply and so clearly, Lord. Um, but we don't want to walk away from here and forget what we've heard, Lord. We want to be doers of the word. We want to live differently, Lord. We want to be lights in the darkness, not darkness. We want to be salt, Lord. We want to be that city set on a hill that all the nations stream into, what the world needs, what people are looking for, Lord. We want to be good at loving people, and we want to be good at loving you. Send us forth from this place, Lord Jesus, set free from the past, set free from our failures, set free from our disappointments, Lord free, Lord, just to follow you and to serve you with all our hearts. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.